Why, hello there. It's me, Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. Let's see what we've got in store this week. It's a sins. David Carlyle is in the studio chatting about his new Virgin Radio special, Getting Out. Queen of Music PR, Barbara Sharone takes us backstage in her memoir, Access All Areas. And Catherine Kelly is telling us all about the new all-star comedy podcast she's starring in called Curl Up and D.I. Martha's cooking up some fresh barbecue treats to get us excited for the summer. And you've been in touch with your dilemmas. Let's cross to Graham's Guide correspondent, Maria McCurlane, who'll fill us in on what you've been needing help with this week. Virgin Radio. Maria. Oh, oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Uh, by the way, the Cluse Orchestra played uh, in the early hours of this morning, so they have oh, played. Oh, did now. they? I see. I'd yes. like to have seen that. Would you like to have gone to Glastonbury? No. No, no, I wouldn't. Okay, no. okay, we've cleared that up. Thank goodness. <laughs> I've been worrying about it. Here we go with my first letter. Dear Graham and Maria. I have a close friend who lives nearby and I have known for 17 years. In recent months, he has become withdrawn and distant. To my knowledge, we haven't had a disagreement, but this is a pattern of behaviour I've seen on occasions over the years, not just with me, but also with his family and other friends. I continue to check in with him regularly, although his replies in the past few months have been perfunctory at best, consisting of nothing more than a thumbs-up emoji. Unexpectedly, I've now received an email from him requesting a favour, asking if I could design and format his CV. It's something I've done for him in the past eight years or so. I said I was happy to do so and asked him to forward me his updated information. He also mentioned that he'd sought the assistance of a careers advisor to write his latest CV and that he'd forward me their suggestions too. The information he sent me included the full email history between him and the advisor, during which my friend asked if they could recommend someone to help with designing and formatting their CV. As, in inverted commas, a friend who has done this previously has now moved away and we are no longer in contact. I guess the advisor wasn't able to recommend anyone, leaving my friend no option but to ask me. He's not particularly tech-savvy, so he won't have realised that he sent me the full email history. Even so, I'm offended at his gall. Good word. Particularly given his recent behaviour. I'm also embarrassed for him, as I'd be totally mortified if I'd done this. Do I rise above it and format the CV, or should I say something? And that is from Anthony in Hope. Anthony in Hope, thank you very much for your very comprehensive letter. I would say to you, your your friend is obviously no stranger to jobs and things because he's obviously updating his CV a lot. Now, why can't you do both, Anthony in Hope? It doesn't have to be a dig di- a big deal, a dig deal, because basically what he said was uh, that you have moved away and you're no no longer in contact he could have said you know my friend who did do this we've had a terrible falling out i hate him and i no longer wish to have anything to do with him he didn't say anything particularly bad anthony and hope he said something odd because obviously he was wanting the careers advisor to sort things out for him he sounds like somebody who likes other people to sort things out for him and you've done that in the past and you're doing it now but I don't see how you can't you know, do the CV and then say, oh, and by the way, I haven't moved away and I would like to be in contact with you, you know, smiley face emoji or whatever. You don't need to make a massive deal out of this. He hasn't been horrible to you. He hasn't been horrible about your CV skills. He's just said something weird and odd. You know, some people are weird and odd. It takes a lot to make a world. And he's one of those people, too. Um, Do the nice thing, Anthony. And let him know that you know because he's not particularly tech savvy and maybe offer to give him a technical lesson on the computer which he might take you up on he seems to be one of those friends who needs you when he needs you and the rest of the time you know happy to just give you a thumbs up emoji graham what would you say well one how lovely to have a friend who just gives you a thumbs up emoji i mean that's great <laughs> that's that's sort of ideal. Thank you very much. That's all I needed to know. Thank you. Um, look, I think definitely you're going to do the CV. I don't. I'm in two minds whether oh, you say you? something or not. First? Which mind well, is I think most, I think my first mind is don't bother saying anything because you'll just embarrass him. He'll get all defensive and weird. And whatever, if you do want to salvage this relationship, um, that's not going to help. Um, He's defensive and weird anyway, though. Thumbs up emoji and not speaking to you forever until he needs something. So, you know, acknowledge his defensive weirdness. 
Okay. I mean, but just be aware of what's going to happen then, Anthony Hove. He will never contact you again. You know, because he'll be too embarrassed to do so unless he needs Good. a new CV. I can get Anthony and Hope to do my CV. Too <laughs> <laughs> busy with weird, weird friend doing it. No, I mean, you know, it, it's not a friendship that you think, well, they go to the pub together, is it really? It's a, it's a sort of long distance. We've been friends for a long time. I can ask you a favour, friendship. Yes, I mean, they've known each other for 17 years, so it's a long old time. Yeah, um, I mean, I was trying to work out how old these people are and why this man constantly is changing his job. <laughs> <laughs> well, his CV's so rubbish. Oh, sorry, Anthony. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it's been updated all the time, Graham. That's the yeah. you know, I mean, I, 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 I asked for someone good. I asked for someone good, and they couldn't give anyone, so I'm using you. Uh, <laughs> So, I, I, it's it's difficult. I, I just think, yes, play it, play it carefully. I mean, because those email chains, you know, nothing good comes from scrolling down because you're not meant to see what's down there. And it, and it, yes, it's somebody's stupid fault for doing it, but at the same time, I don't know. Uh, if you've got advice for Anthony Inove, it's 8722. Start your text with the word of Virgin. Virgin Radio. Okay, our first letter was from Anthony in Hove. He's got a close friend, lives nearby. Uh, they've known each other for 17 years. Anyway, uh, recently the friend has been a bit distant, but, you know, Anthony's seen this happen before, where he kind of goes quiet and distances himself from friends and family, and then he comes back into the world. All good. Anyway, he received an email from Matt of Blue asking him to uh, do his CV form, which he's done before. Uh and he was using a career advisor and he sent through the notes from the career advisor, but attached to it was the whole email chain. And of course, Anthony scrolled down and discovered that uh, this friend said, oh, somebody used to do my CV, but they've moved away. We're no longer in contact, i.e. him. Anyway, does uh, he, he, he rise above it? And do the CV or should he say something or should he do both? Uh, what did you think? Uh, Sarah's in where is she? With dead? With is there a, really a town called With dead? I hope that's a typo. Um, I would tell Anthony to sort out his distant friend CV, replying using the email trail. The friend will probably use that email in his next job application, and his prospective employer will see he is incapable of wanting to learn new skills. He should tell his friend; otherwise, his email inappropriateness could land him in trouble. Well, you know. I mean, actually, you could say something, couldn't you? You could say, oh, by the way, you do know you left the entire email chain on that thing. Uh, Dean and, oh, Nibola the cat in Brighton. How lovely. Uh, Offer to update his CV over a coffee or drink together and chat through everything there and then. Face to face, not a bad idea. Alex is in Wells. I think your friend has given you the cold shoulder and your suspicion of that are borne out with this email and he's using you. I wouldn't bother. Oh, Alex says no. Alex says no. Uh, Sarah's in Cornwall. The problem with emails is that it's easy to misconstrue their contents and read something into them which isn't there. The same is true of texts. Help out your friend as they've asked, but offer to pop around their house with a formatted CV or a memory stick with them on to give you an excuse to see them face to face. Then just see how the conversation unfolds. People tend to be more open and honest in person. Um, Sarah, I think you are very wise, very wise, because you're right. It's hard to know what was going on on a CV, why he, or on an email rather, why he said what he said. So, uh, yes, do that, Anthony. Graham's Guide. Here's my second letter. This is a bit sad, Graham. Dear Graham and Maria, my father is 84 and my mother passed away 18 months ago. Unfortunately, we live at opposite ends of the country and that limits the time we can spend together. Dad has recently started to send text messages to friends and family, including my in-laws, that are inappropriate and at times often annoying. They're trying their best to be supportive, recognising that he's been grieving, but their patience is wearing thin. His messages, sometimes late in the evening, can be non-PC and indeed a little inappropriate in respect of some of the messages to my wife. I want to support him and help him through a difficult time, but he seems unable to understand the social norms of text-based communication, and he is at risk of alienating his closest friends and family. 
I've, tri- I've tried to point this out, but he thinks he's being funny. In the absence of mum's moderating influence, I don't have the heart to tell him that he isn't. What to do? That is from John in Southport. Oh, John in Southport, this letter fills my heart with sadness because there he is, your dad, 84. Suddenly he's in this sea of life that he doesn't really know how to navigate. And, you know, late at night is, of course, the times when you get lonely. I really want to say, first and foremost, I know this is probably inappropriate, but get your dad a rescue dog, maybe a sort of older rescue dogs some company here's craving company the other thing I want to say is you can be helpful you can look John in Southport at things like third age social groups and get in touch with age UK because your dad is crying out for just somebody to be around you know he's probably married for a long time and now he's in this well of loneliness that he simply can't navigate and texts are very difficult because it's all about nuance it's all about how one interprets etc and they possibly are a little dodgy but cut him some slack here you can help him you can help him get out of his house get some company maybe get a little furry friend he can you know he'll get out and you meet dog walkers and they meet up for coffee and so on and the wheel has to start turning again it's been 18 months and it's not long in the great scheme of things but I think he's slightly drowning here all away from people he knows and his social group clearly is not up to speed so I just a bit of you know website research and a little bit of telephonic communication with him to get him into that mode and I think you can get him up and running again it makes me very sad John I'm so sorry Graham what do you think Yeah, it is. I think men are kind of useless, aren't they? So, you know, he is now alone and 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 as you say, he's clearly struggling. I think, John, you can do two things. I think you can do what Maria is saying and help him in all these other parts of his life, help him to get an actual physical social life, get him out of the house, all of those things. But also, I think you're not being, you're not doing him a kindness, but no one's doing him a kindness by kind of soft peddling this bit i think you need to read in the riot act and gonna go no no with the texts the texts are really off and you know people are gonna you know this is not on i know you think these are funny they're not and i think you can be really firm with them so long as you're being supportive in other areas areas of his life so not yeah. so long as you're not just cutting off this one little means of communication he has um and giving him nothing else but I do think you need to be very firm about this and go, oi, no. It's like it's like he's fallen in with a bad crowd <laughs> and they're forwarding they're forwarding him off colour jokes and then yeah. he's forwarding to everybody. I so, think Graham yeah, as well, yeah. when he's trying to be funny, he's thinking he's being funny. It's late at night. When you're in grief, there's an awful lot of anger. And I think these off colour texts and things that are not PC and inappropriate is part of that anger coming out because he does find himself in this sea of loneliness and so you know the off-colour things are a bit of anger coming through and I'm trying to be funny but I'm not really I'm trying to tell you how I'm feeling with slightly uh, you know wrong texts that I don't know how you will receive so all of that I think can be helped by the addition of some social, real people social life and, you know, maybe coffee mornings once a week, Age UK do things like that, uh, bridge afternoons, maybe a little doggy, I don't know. I know he's a bit older, but he sounds like he's, <laughs> he, you know, if he's tech savvy, he sounds like he's quite able and capable and just to stop that loneliness. I and, and Graham is right, you have to really close these texts down, but don't close them down without giving an alternative. Because exactly, that's his only yes. means of letting you know how he feels right now. Yeah, no, I think you need to do you need to do both. You need to kind of up the rest of his life and shut this bit of it down. Uh and and you know, and because I think also there is a, you know, I can imagine in a way, it, it is attention-seeking, isn't it? Because he knows, I bet you, he's 84. You know, he, he knows that these things you know, are off colour. He knows that, oh, these are a bit cheeky and da da, da. And it, it's him trying to get a reaction from people. It's people like it's like people sending awful tweets and things. You know, you yes. want you want a reaction. That's what well, you're looking for. Well, you just for. want somebody to notice that you're there. And possibly if they send it late at night when you are lonely and when possibly a drink has been taken, that's when, you know, he's a bit more loose-lipped than perhaps it would be advisable. So... Uh, 
address those things, John. Listen to, you know, regardless of what the texts say, just listen to the message that's behind them. Yes, He's exactly. in need. He's in great need. Graham's Guide. Uh, John is in Southport. And, oh, dear, poor old John. His father is 84 and his mother died 18 months ago. And they live at opposite ends of the country, so it limits the actual time they spend together. What's happened is that the 84-year-old father, obviously a bit lonely, whatever, he started sending texts to people. That's, you know, he knows how to text, so he's texting. But a lot of the texts are a bit inappropriate, sort of off-colour jokes, things that might be funny if you were in person, but just as a text, you go, ooh, that's a bit... Ugh. Anyway, uh, it, it it's damaging, you know, and he's doing it to in-laws, he's doing it to extended family, he's doing it to John's wife... It's just not on. Uh, John's tried to point it out. He thinks he's been funny uh, because I think the mother was a moderating influence. Um, And he doesn't have the heart to tell him that it isn't. What does he do? Uh, My favourite responder will be getting a bottle of that Waitrose Provence Rosé. Sarah. Sarah, she's on it today. Uh, John's family should contact Reengage Charity. That's R-E, then capital E, Engage. Re-engage, all one word, but two capitals, charity. Uh, They work with volunteers to host tea parties for elderly people on their own once a month, and I think they're brilliant. And the trouble is, 84, you don't really know what 84 is anymore. You know, he might might look at you if you said, I've I've got you an invitation to an old people's tea party. You might be going, what? No. Or he might enjoy it. You never know. Uh, Liz is in Carefilly. John, have you considered that your mom may have masked rather than moderated his behaviour? Inappropriate behaviour in a man of your dad's age may need a little more investigation. Is he managing in his day-to-day life? Are there neighbours who can check on him? These may be early warning signs that you mustn't ignore. All the best, both of you. Take care. Thank you very much for Liz in Carefilly. We hadn't considered that idea um, but yes, you're right. It might well be a symptom of something else. Uh, Jules is in Windsor. My advice for jo- John is to phone him more. Give him a chance to natter and get any pent-up feelings out of his system. I also live a long way from my parents who are socially isolated because dad is blind and mom is disabled. I visit once a month for the whole weekend, Sky every Sunday and phone every night on Skype, I'm guessing that is, every Sunday and phone every night on my way home from work. Yes, the calls are ordinary, but I recognise that I might be the only other person that they speak to that day. Don't let long distance be an excuse for not communicating. Good luck. That's very good advice from Jules in Windsor. And Marion is in Derbyshire. Having had elderly parents that have also gone through this, I would add that whilst the humour isn't acceptable today, it was in his era. That doesn't make it acceptable now, but it's very difficult to explain how social norms they have held for many years are no longer acceptable. Different times. Society has broadly moved on, but 84-year-olds probably haven't. Good luck. Well, you say that, Marion, but I also feel like, I feel like sometimes old people use it as an excuse. Kind of, oh, I can't be bothered. You can be bothered. It's very ageing if you don't kind of keep up with uh, current things like that. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Okay, it's time to meet my first guest of the day. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, He played Gloria in It's a Sin, the huge hit for Channel 4, which is currently still available to stream on all four, and it's also available on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Uh, But now he brings a documentary special to Virgin Radio. Radio. It's a two-parter. It's called Getting Out, and his name is David Carlyle, and he joins us now. Hello, David. Hello, Graham. Good morning. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Yeah, really excited to speak to you. Oh, well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, so this show, hmm. it, it, I mean, it has a kind of a direct link to It's a Sin. So why don't you talk to us about kind of the genesis of this documentary? Yeah, well, it sort of started with... Um when the part of this, the the script of it's a sin, there was a scene that was that never really was shot. Actually, I think budget <laughs> meant that they had to cut it in the end. But uh, it, it introduces Gloria in a slightly different way, and um, you find that he and Roscoe, played by Mary Douglas, that they are best mates and that they are living in a squat together. So I was sort of intrigued by that and did a bit of research when I was preparing to play the part and found kind of staggering figures really that 24% of all young people in the streets are LGBTQ plus and I, I mean this was years ago but I, I was sort of staggered I was like, what you know 24 
percent of all young people who are homeless uh, are LG. I just couldn't believe it. So, uh, yeah, that it then got parked, you know, because the scene was cut in the end and we moved on. And, and it was years later, you know, that I was sitting there and thought, I'd like to know more about that. And so then I called Virgin and said, but can you help me? <laughs> and is the problem still as bad? Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, if, if not more so. I mean... It's important to say actually that the the figure twenty four percent is is a best guess. It's probably a very low estimate. I mean, you know, people on the streets are who are homeless, therefore they have no fixed address, and so it's hard to get yeah uh, facts and figures. But yes, it's it's if if not worse. And I think with the rise in in particular sort of transphobia that's going on, um, yeah, that what I've heard and what I've found out is that it's rife, um, and that there are still young people just not able to feel safe in their, their family home and are having to, to exit. Um, it's it's disturbing, really. It really is. It, you know, it's terrifying because you've got to think, oh, come on, it's 2022. Why, why, are, we, why are we heading backwards? Because you do feel like the world is slightly slipping back into, into kind of bad old ways. It's, a, it's an odd time. Completely. I think that's, that's, that's why I was motivated, I think, to, to, to have a conversation with some young people if I could find them because I just thought, well, this isn't right. I mean, it feels... I'm getting married uh, next week, right? And, and that's in Glasgow and I'm like... Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, just drop that in. But, I mean, yeah. so times have moved on, you know, and I can go there and I can feel safe and, and all my friends and family are going to be there. But equally, there's this sort of dark underbelly that nobody's sort of... Really, well, everyone... Actually, there's a lot of people talking about it, but it's not widely known. Um, and so, yeah, I was happy to speak with some people to try and find out more about it. And in terms of, you know, finding people to talk to about this, were you put in touch with them through charities or were you literally on the streets going up to to homeless young people? How did you go about it? I started with the charities. So I approached... Albert Kennedy Trust, AKT, uh, the Rock Trust, which is in Scotland, LGBTU Scotland, and the Outside Project. So I sort of went for four, kind of four charities, and I tell you what, though, it was difficult to 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 get people to speak to me. Completely understandably, because for people to want to talk so publicly about it, um, and particularly on you know a commercial radio station that's got such reach, that it they were they were scared. I think you know they 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 were worried about their families hearing from them uh, at this stage or perhaps bringing any more kind of ill ill effects or consequences so there was a it was a lot of it was really difficult to get someone to feel safe with me and be able to have a conversation I was lucky enough though to manage to speak to a guy called Foyes who's part one of the documentary and then I managed to speak to a, a guy called Jack from Scotland who's part two so it's not like a huge investigative bit but I've done my best you know to, yeah. to really and kind so, of so part one it. is tomorrow night at, at seven o'clock and mm. Foyers am I right that he, one of the reasons he did the documentary is because he hopes he hopes his parents do hear it is that the is that the idea exactly right yeah, yeah exactly right and so at the end of the interview I said to him is there any songs that you want to play and he chose a song that very much speaks to his parents and he had a message for his parents and he, he, I mean, he turned up to a conversation, you know, kind of prepped, you know, to he felt ready to say this and ready to speak out and wanted his parents to hear his story or hear it from his point of view. I mean, it was it was traumatic. I mean, yeah, the word is is actually not strong enough. It was traumatic what happened to him. And I, I in think fact, we've got a, a clip. Guy. We've got a clip of Foyer's talking about uh, what happened when his parents discovered he was gay. Uh, let's just play it there now. Straight away. Like, my sister was like, right, we need to call the exorcist and, like, book an appointment. You're, you know, you're not gay. It's a demon or whatever. And they kind of played those cards. At the time, I was so shocked because I was like, everything was just crumbling. Like, they stopped me from going to uni. Um, they said, you're not going to uni anymore. They took my laptop, my phone, everything. And then it was kind of like, I was in lockdown before lockdown. And then I was kind of, like, stuck in my house and and I was so fearful at the time because I was like, what what would happen next? Like, I didn't know what my next steps are. Are they going to kick me out? Am I going to become homeless? Um, like I just didn't know because it was all unplanned. I wasn't expecting to come out. Usually people plan their coming out, and like for me, it just kind of happened. And David, I believe your it's a sin kind of extended family also got involved. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we've got a WhatsApp group called the Pink Palace. So I just texted them um, and said, "Look, I think I need your help." So Russell T Davies, the creator of the show, 
he was so generous. Basically, I said, can I use that scene? I think it's a real good introduction to why I'm, I'm exploring this topic. And, you know, it's, it's now, I mean, it's now such a cult classic, isn't it? Like, it's uh, or a popular culture classic that it, I thought, am I going to ever get the copyright to this? But he's amazing. He just went, yep, I'll make it happen. And um, waived all copyrights, basically instructed <laughs> everybody else who owned it to say he can have it. And so then I got Ollie... Alexander, Lydia West, Amari Douglas and Callum Scott-Hiles to come in and help me reenact it, the scene. So that's how the show starts. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, even, yeah, so just for It's a Sin fans, that's amazing to, yeah. to hear a scene that, that never made it to the to the show. That's it. And like uh, proper backstory as well, because it's um, Richie and Roscoe. There's some information there about their relationship that was never kind of played out do you know what I mean on, on screen so yeah for proper fans it's uh, it's interesting so part one that so that's in part one tomorrow night at seven o'clock and that's mm. the story of Foyers who, who we heard from earlier mm. uh, in the second part who do you focus on so that's Jack Jack's a trans man from Scotland a small kind of I guess mining community or traditionally old mining community in Scotland and um, Jack kind of had to just leave home as they were transitioning um, and his family just kind of couldn't get to grips or were struggling while they were grappling with the idea of yeah that and, and actually I mean what's amazing really here is that Jack it's not that Foyers feels any animosity towards his parents um, but Jack kind of really is says look let, I, I want to give my parents space because they of course they were struggling to understand this so from, so from a traditional place in Scotland and and I was coming at them with this brand new idea and um and they struggled with that and and Jack's got this amazing ability to empathize and his patience is incredible so it's a really uplifting story to hear from Jack I mean it is for for foyers too but Jack Jack really is, he's able to step back, I think, and, and view things with a, with a degree of empathy that I don't think I could ever have reached, certainly at his age. <laughs> having well, it's that thing, things. isn't it? Because because I think uh, maybe it's different now with, with uh, homosexuality, but I don't think so. I mean, I think people struggle to understand themselves. You know, you struggle to understand your own sexuality. You struggle to understand your own gender. So, of course, your family, you know, <laughs> don't get it immediately. There's, there's, it's, it, it's very rare, I think, that it's going to be frictionless. Um, but. Yeah, but that's great that it's it's so it, it it ended in a happy place for Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's now moved on. So he was affiliated with the Rock Trust in Scotland, and he's now moved on from that and is um, in a relationship and is actually creating a a cookbook uh, called Kitchen in a Kettle, <laughs> uh, which is amazing. So, but when he was in uh, accommodation, he didn't have access to a microwave or didn't have access to a microwave all the time, and so therefore had to work out ways to make things in their room. Um, with a kettle, so it's so now creating a cookbook that's actually helps people who are struggling financially or are homeless or whatever, you know, to to be able to cook healthy and tasty meals. Uh, he's currently fundraising for that, so I'm I'm plugging that oh, big and fast. Yeah, at and tell uh, me that, David, have you have you done this work before? What, what being a documentary? Like, like, we're like being a presenter, doing doing interviews, things like that. No, no, no. Uh, it's definitely something that's just come out of the back of being on Etsy Sin. There's been a lot of like kind of amazing opportunities afforded to me. I've just sort of ran with it. <laughs> and I mean, has it has it kind of uh, wet your appetite? Is this kind of a new a new string to your bow now? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. Like it's 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 something I'm really enjoying. It's it's I find it very challenging, um, and it's something that's. Yeah, that's just keeping me my brain ticking over it. I also think it's really great to like to do something that feels like you're having an impact. Um, it's sort of being an actor can feel quite isolating because you're you're mostly unemployed, <laughs> and then when you get a job, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm doing something great. But for the rest of the time, you're just auditioning or or waiting. Yeah. So it feels great to be active in doing that, and I definitely am loving uh, hearing from different people and 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 getting a getting a bit involved with presenting and the like. Yeah, I have done some on Virgin Radio Pride. You know, like the Virgins kind of opened their arms to me and said, "Like, what do you want to do?" So I've given that a go and I'm enjoying it. I don't know how good I am at it, but I'm giving it a shot. <laughs> well, you sound very good on the radio. I mean, here's the thing. I suppose was it being in it to say, as you say, you know, being an actor is just an actor. You know, I'm doing a job. It's a good mm -hmm. job. It's a bad job. Blah, blah, blah. But I guess being in it to sin, it was more than a job. It, it felt like a. It felt like it felt like a moment. Well, that's it. Yeah. It really did, and you know when it came out because it was in lockdown. It came out, and then Russell texted us all, called us all, just to see, like, are you okay? And he said, "Look, I've done Doctor Who and Queer as Folk, and I've never experienced anything like that. Are you guys doing okay?" And we definitely had to become activists. <laughs> um, 
I, yeah, I just felt like we had to kind of embrace it and run with it. And we're all very grateful and privileged to do that. But it was a, it was a steep learning curve, you know, to go for I've worked in theatre for, for 10 years, more than 10 years. This is my first big TV job. And, and so to go from that to what feels like obscurity or just kind of treading the boards and then all of a sudden having to jump on and off different radio stations to talk about things and then there was like the, the amount of accolades and awards that we got for the show and individually it was just yeah it's been a it's been a ride <laughs> well congratulations to you and not just for it's sim but for your documentary uh, getting you. out getting out it's two-part documentary the first part is on tomorrow night at seven o'clock on virgin radio thank you so much for coming in to talk to us about it david thank take you care for having me graham cheers the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my second guest of the day. As I say, she is a, a legend. She's worked in music for many, many years and has now released a brand new memoir, Access All Areas, a backstage pass through 50 years of music and culture. Her name is Barbara Sharona. Jones now. Hello, Barbara. Hello, Graham. <laughs> and when I heard when I heard you were writing this book, I assumed it was a retirement, a declaration of retirement. But no, you're still working away. Yeah, no, absolutely. I it really just came about in lockdown. I'd always talked about writing a book after a few glasses of wine with friends, but then the next day I'd wake up and go to the office. But we had <laughs> we hopefully, and um, yeah, we had so much time in lockdown. It just uh, seemed a good idea. Uh, Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream had texted me kind of three months into lockdown saying that he just read an old interview I'd done with the Rolling Stones and I should do a book. And one thing led to another. He had a friend in publishing called Lee Braxton and I kind of called him up and the rest is history. And it is a fascinating history. I mean, and what, what's extraordinary is that you... What, two things. One, it's it's not just a job, what you do. I mean, clearly you love music, you love rock and roll, but you you your timing was extraordinary. You kind of got straight in at the top level, it seems. I was very lucky. Um, and I think, you know, luck plays into everything. But it was amazing. You know, uh, what I wanted to come across the most was really the fact that I did love music and that it's about the music. You know, a few of the tabloids had done stories when they heard I was doing a book saying I was going to spill the beans on all my clients. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The only beans I really spill are about me. Yeah, in fact, you do spill quite a few beans about yourself. In the book, you talk, in the early days, you talk about, you know, all the, the kind of rock and roll excesses, the drugs and the alcohol and da, da, da. And you kind of indulged in all of that. And yet you saved yourself. What do you think kind of, what stopped you spiraling down some terrible rabbit hole of self-destruction? I think, you know, I was just looking to have even more fun. I wasn't... Uh looking to get oblivious or anything. And I think I also had a great sense of uh, self-preservation. You know, I wanted to wake up the next morning and feel okay. <laughs> Just wake up the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's always, always a good start. And you start as a journalist and now as a PR, do you look back at some, like, the, you know, you were embedded on tours. You did, you know, you referenced that movie Almost Famous a lot in, in the book. And it, when you did, you know, you went on tour with Rod Stewart and things like that, as a PR, do you look back in horror and you think, who allowed journalists to do that? You wouldn't allow that now, would you? Well, I think, to be honest, that some access is really a good thing. You know, I work with the Foo Fighters and they're very, very welcoming to journalists when you take them on tour, which I think is, is pays dividends in the end. You just have to draw a line, obviously, of how much access... <laughs> and, and and in the book, you know, because you're not known as a kind of uh, a rottweiler of PR because, you know, PR is of a certain reputation. How do you, do you think it was because you started as a journalist? Is that why you think I, you, you kind of work well with journalists? You're not seen as this kind of, you know, baddie? Yeah, I think being a journalist is a, was a huge, huge advantage because you're, well, first of all, I'm a newspaper holic. I love newspapers. And I think the more you read newspapers, you know where to position artists. And 
it's all a really good thing. And then also just having a good relationship with the artist and with the journalists. And the relationship you have with the artists, it's interesting in the book where sometimes you're really close and, you know, and you've worked, you've worked with some, you've worked with Madonna since the very beginning. You've worked with uh, the Rolling Stones and all, the, all these various people. I've um, also worked with you. Yes, we have worked together. Yes, we have. Thanks. Obviously, that was, that was a highlight. Obviously, I'm not even in the book, Barbara. I'm not even. I did a word search. I'm not even in there. <laughs> but you talk about you know, the relationships, and yet sometimes it 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 feels like it means less to them. You know, so when when the relationship ends, when the the work ends, is it REM that you had a kind of a weird end with? Yeah, I was really disappointed. I worked with them for 25 years. <clears throat> which is really, I mean, that's a quarter of a century. That hardly ever happens. And I had a great relationship with them. And when uh, it ended, which by the way, everyone's entitled to change PRs whenever they want. I was just waiting for a text or an email or even a phone call, or, or dare I say, even a bunch of flowers to say thanks. Uh, but nothing came and I was really disappointed in that. And have you bumped into him since or anything? No. I have not. Uh, <laughs> you, don't just bump, you don't just bump into Michael Stipe. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's interesting is, you know, you, you represent and have represented so many big people like Madonna, Mark Ronson, Foo Fighters, Elvis Costello, Keith Richards, Rod Stewart, Kasabian, Metallica, Depeche Mode, Texas, on and on and on. Um, and of, so when we said, oh, choose a song... I wasn't expecting you to choose this artist uh, who you have also represented. or Do you still represent him? Yes, I do. So why why this person? Why this song? So am I allowed to say the person? Oh, please do, yes. <laughs> so the artist is Rufus Wainwright. And um, I had never really heard of Rufus Wainwright. And one night I was having dinner with Neil Tennant, and, who's been a really good friend of mine since he was a writer at Smash Hits. And um, by the way, they did an amazing show at the Electric Ballroom last night, the Pet Shop Boys. But we, were having, we were having dinner and um, we went to Tower Records. We were at the Wellesley. We went to Tower Records afterwards, which remember when there were record stores, those were yeah. great. And he picked up this album um, and he said, do you have it? And it was an album by Rufus Wainwright. So I didn't, I didn't even know who he was. So he bought it for me and um, I eventually got around to playing it. It was just near Christmas and I became just obsessed with, uh, he had three albums out at the time. This track is from Poses, his second album. And I was just on a mission to work with him. And luckily I got to work with him and um, yeah, it's been a marriage made in heaven. It's, it's just as fun working with people like Rufus Wainwright uh, as it is working with someone like Madonna, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, it's a real challenge to get, you know, Rufus in the newspapers uh, as much as it is working with uh, someone that's maybe a bigger name. And Rufus is obviously a solo artist and you've worked with a solo artist. Talk to us about the, the specific challenges of working with big bands and the complications that arise from that. Well, working with bands, it's a little bit like um, being a psychologist or something. You've got to be kind of sensitive to all the issues between all the members. You know, um, you don't want to have five people in a room doing an interview, as you well know, and you can't hear who's saying what. But also sometimes, you know, you've got two people vying for attention, usually the lead singer and the lead guitarist. <laughs> like, do you see that? Do you see specific personality types end up in various roles in bands? Yeah, of course, because... Um, you know, sometimes you'll have a band where lots of the two or three of the members are very happy not to do all the press. And it's a big burden, you know, for whoever has to do the bulk of the interviews, um, doing so many. But, you know, I think uh, any band that's got two members who have a little bit of friction between them is a healthy thing. Okay. And talking of, uh, talking of healthy things and bands, uh, we should mention your partner, uh, Maura Bellis, who you've worked with, you've worked with her for 40 years. What is it about the two of you that makes it work? Why, why are the two of you so good together? It's probably a little bit like uh, a band in that, you know, we're both good at different things. 
and I'm kind of like being American, uh, obviously a little bit more pushy and aggressive. <laughs> and um, she being British is probably, you know, less pushy and more inclined to kind of take a back seat. But, um, you know, so I think the combination is really good. You can't have two really pushy people. <laughs> and what's the hardest bit of your job? Getting people press or keeping people out of the press? It depends. You know, every client is different. Um, so, you know, less is more. Uh, but also, you know, sometimes with, with new artists, new bands especially, it's it's really hard to get them in the press. And then sometimes, of course, it's really hard to keep things out. Uh, yes. And what about kind of because, you know, you focus on the UK, but because the world has changed so much, it's so global now. Do you is that difficult? Is it hard to kind of keep track of press that's happening in the rest of the world? It's not hard to keep track of things. But, you know, obviously, now that artists have their own platform with uh, social media, you know, it, before it would be much more they would do a few interviews and then you wouldn't hear from them till they had another record or concert tour or something. But, you know, now you can be, an artist can be on Twitter every day. Which must be a nightmare for a PR. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Barbara Sharon, the book is called Access All Areas and it's a fascinating story about a life lived in music and there's so many uh, big names in there. Thank you so much for sharing your story and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Still to come, Catherine Kelly fills us in on her new comedy podcast, Curl Up and D.I., and we give Guess the Guest another go. But first, let's see what barbecue treats that Martha Collison has in store for us. Hey, she's here, everybody. Look lively. Yes, it's Martha Collison, our show chef. Hello, Martha. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Thanks for asking. Did you have a good week? Yes, it was very nice, thank you. Good. And now you've come to make it rain. (laughs) (laughs) yes it's not the best day to be doing barbecue sides i'll tell you that (laughs) (laughs) it's such a kind of give the minute and now here's some ideas for barbecue (laughs) thunder clouds roll in Uh, all right but you're you're making we could eat this indoors we don't need an actual barbecue to make this do we exactly it's weather it's weatherproof this salad i'll tell you that (laughs) great so what what is it? So this is a, a watermelon Greek feta salad. So really simple and a nice little twist on your classic Greek salad by using very summery watermelon. When did this happen? When did watermelon suddenly become a... Because now it's kind of the law that it's watermelon and feta. But I feel like, <laughs> I feel like a few years ago, this would have been... Uh, people would have stared blankly at it. Yeah, people would have turned their noses up maybe a little bit at it. But I was thinking about it earlier and I was thinking, how come cheese and pineapple made its way kind of into the archives? Like, that's a classic party food, a cheese and pineapple stick. So actually, feta and watermelon, it's not a million miles away. I reckon it will. this will be the kind of 2020 <laughs> cheese and pineapple. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Abigail's party, 2020. <laughs> She's serving watermelon Greek feta salad. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> So um, a salad, I mean, a recipe is, is a big word, but what, how, do we, how do we put it together? Yeah, so it's a nice, simple one. You'd be pleased to know when you're faffing about with your barbecue, you want nice, simple sides. But the good thing about getting your sides right is that you know they can't go wrong, whereas I feel like barbecue meat barbecuing can be a bit temperamental. So get your sides done first. So we've got um, some... So there's something to eat. Yeah, you, <laughs> you need to have something. And yeah, as you say, you can yeah. have this inside if it all goes if it all goes wrong. Um, but we're going to start with a red onion, um, half a red onion, finely slice it, and then pop that into a little bowl of water. And the water kind of just mellows that kind of aggressive onion-iness of the onion and makes oh, it a little he, bit more palatable. So, so let's stop right there. That's <laughs> such a good... That's a really... I never knew that. So you, you make the rounds, but then you, you get rid of some of the intense onioniness in the water. This yeah, is... absolutely. It kind of just absorbs into the water and then you drain the water away and you're left with a nice crunchy onion, but it's a little bit less pungent and harsh. <laughs> How am I 59 years old and I'm learning this now? Okay, great. I've written that down. I'm remembering <laughs> it for the rest of my life. Oh, uh, excellent. On, on ever on. So my, my onion is soaking in water. What do I do next? So we're going to slice up uh, half a large watermelon.
watermelon and a whole cucumber. Scoop the seeds out the middle of your cucumber and remove any of those really big watermelon seeds. But you can eat the small ones, so don't faff about too much with those. That goes into a big bowl or onto a plate. Then we're going to tear some Kalamata olives apart, crumble over some feta, and then we just drizzle the final salad with a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, some red wine vinegar for a bit of acidity, and then it gets finished with some herbs. So we've got some dried oregano and then some fresh mint, and that's that. Boom! And uh, Bob's your uncle, and you're eating watermelon Greek feta salad. And uh, and I should say, you know, I recently had some vegan feta, which sounds awful, but actually, I don't know what, I mean, who knows what weird space-age technology's gone into making it, but it's weirdly good. Oh, and it was good. I had some Greek feta last week. I actually went to Greece last week, and we got oh. we arrived in the, in the villa, and my parents were like, oh, we've bought you some feta so you can make a salad. And I opened the feta, and they'd managed to buy the only vegan feta in the whole of the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> a bit disappointing, but I need to find this your feta. This looks special. This looks special. Mar- Martha would like this. That was exactly what they did. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back on my own the next day to get some proper feta. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, listen, uh, thank you very much for that salad. Uh, it, recipes past and present can be found in the brand new Graham Norton Waitrose Hub. We have a hub on Waitrose website. You just get to waitrose.com slash show chef to see all of Martha's recipes and of course you can check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose You can taste when it's Waitrose Virgin Radio Time to meet my guest today uh, We got to know her and love her in Coronation Street since then she's gone on to huge success at the National Theatre Mr Selfridge on telly Happy Valley The Night Manager and now she's in a very starry comedy podcast Her name is Catherine Kelly and she joins us now hello Catherine hi Graham how are you doing really good how are you I'm very well thanks for asking so uh, this is curl up and di so uh it is quite Billy bonkers but tell us <laughs> tell us tell us as much as you can that makes sense yes um if you can find a plot, if you can find a plot in it here it is so it's set in a um Fictitious, thank God, fictitious seaside village in North Yorkshire called Slapby Bay, uh, where you meet two resident murder cops who are played by myself and Mark Benton. And we take on the services of the local hairdressers who are played by Jim Moyer and Morgana Robinson. I'm even laughing as I'm telling you the plot. Um, And these hairdressers are we go in for haircuts and we come out with them um, co-partners because they are obsessed with TV murder detectives. Um, I think they recite, I think they name 37 that they're in fact obsessed with. They can do all the voices. They know how to do all the things that murder cops should be able to do, uh, which surprisingly and very worryingly makes them more capable of catching the perpetrators than myself <laughs> and Mark Benton. So it's an absurdist caper. Uh, it's of itself but if you were going to sort of liken it to things I guess it's kind of like Spinal Tap meets Midsummer Murders (laughs) Very good Well sold that woman And Um, is it uh, it half hours or hours? It's as long as it wants to be Of course, because it's podcasts, yeah It's a podcast, there's not many rules in this It's written by Tony Pitts who actually has written lots and lots for um, Radio 4. That's kind of where we started working together. Um, He's won the Sony Gold. He's written some some beautiful things there. And now, of course, in the world of podcasting, kind of uh, do your own thing. So, um, yeah, this is, (laughs) as I say, it's sort of indescribable. It is Billy Bonkers, you're right, and it's of itself. But, you know, I think... Sense is a bit overrated these days, Graham. I think we all need a bit of nonsense. <laughs> and tell me this, because it is so sorry, were you all together doing it or did you do it kind of down the line at each other? No, we were all together. It was kind of one of the first things um, back once kind of COVID. It was it was during COVID, but it was sort of when, when our industry was allowed to return. So... Yes, we were all we were all together. So there was there's a sort of frenziedness to that as well, really. We'd all kind of been locked up. And then and then we were together. And the way the way that Tony works, the first couple of episodes are written. And and I've never actually worked in this way before, but then we kind of went off and, and wrote our own bits. And it's kind of like a Jackson Pollock of drama podcasts. He totally sort of all these bright paints, you know, all these starry cast kind of thrown at the wall and then kind of 
see see what comes out but he's kind of conducting the orchestra really so yeah it's um it was like I say I've never worked in that way before a, a really good friend of mine Charlotte Lucas who I was at drama school with um because I produced this as well um we brought her in to play lots of different parts and she's the most brilliant comedy actress but she's never been kind of cast in that way professionally and I when I was at RAD with her she used to make me howl with laughter and it was such a joy to see her do all that again and um a brilliant actress Jennifer saying who I worked with at the Don Mar in a musical she came in to play some parts and as you'll see when you, if you stick with it at the end of every episode um myself and Mark Brenton break into song because we'd rather have fish and chips and sing on the beach than catch uh, catch the killers <laughs> and at the very end we all sort of join in with this beautiful Van Morrison song and I said to Tony oh let Jen sing a bit you know she's because I knew how she's just the most amazing singer so like I say it's this sort of soup really and um and uh let's let's see what you think of the dish when it's served well it's on it's on all platforms on the 30th of June and these are becoming more popular these ideas of kind of dramas and comedy dramas as podcasts a lot of people used to cut their teeth on sort of radio drama before we are you too you're too are you too young to have done that or did you do that oh no it was a yeah it was a big deal and it was something that you really wanted to get in as well because 20 years ago when I left drama school there was only four channels (laughs) so so um, radio was was still a huge deal and it was a chance to play lots and lots of different parts. I think, I, and I have done a lot of radio, but I think, you know, this is such, it's such a more nimble way of working. You can kind of, we put this together really quickly. And I, as I say, the sort of freedom, it can be as long as you want. You can, uh, and, and kind of the, the people that decide in the end are the listeners, not the yeah. people sort of further height, which I, I really like that, that, you know, if, if it's out there and if people want to listen, they, they tune in and if they don't, they just switch it off because there's plenty else to choose from. And I... Well, yeah, but I it's, like lovely to fi- it's lovely to find a good podcast. It's lovely to find one that you kind of, ooh, I love that. And also, you know, because it's you and, and Vic Reeves, Sasha Jim Moyer and Morgana and Mark Benton, you know, these it's it's people you want to spend time with. Mark Benton, old loose-lipped Mark Benton in an interview, uh, he said something about, oh, it's a podcast to start with. So do you have plans for this to to end up on telly or something? Well, look, if if people like it and can follow yes. it. Yeah, that's on. a yes, everyone. You heard um, her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the joy of the, this industry, though. I think um, things can move and progress into different things. But, but Tony really likes radio because you are kind of free to be, you don't have the problems of budget and stuff like that. You know, you can just be bold and brave and uh, and and so it's a really it's been a really enjoyable place for us to start with. We are the our company. This is a sort of debut thing for our company with Folding Pocket, who make Tony's other podcast, which is with John Bishop, a brilliant thing called Three Little Words. But oh, then, yes. yeah, so it's the same. It's the same company. And then, yeah, we we are um, we did announce our first uh, feature film, which uh, we're making, which is a complete separate idea to this, but that's called Classic, and that's was making at the beginning of next year. So, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying being at the other side of the camera as well. Since it's your company, we can plug. I think John Bishop's taking three little words to Edinburgh, isn't he? That's right. Yes. Um, yeah, they're there. Tony Pitts and John Bishop are there on the from the 15th of August. Um, yeah, so I'm going up there for the first time in years to to watch it. Yeah, podcast live. That's a new thing, isn't it, as well? In fact, yeah, Curl Up and DI next year. <laughs> Curl Up and DI next year. They'll do it. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll be there. Um, and and this idea of starting the company, where did it come from? Because, you know, you're, you're a jobbing actress. You're very successful. Um, why did you kind of think, oh, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to create some work. Um. That's a really good question, actually. Let me let me have a think about that on the spot. I think, what do they say? They say sort of the first 40 years of your life, you're seeking security, and the second 40 years are about seeking significance. And that's kind of resound. I heard that recently, and I thought, yeah, I wonder if there's something in that. Because um, I've always... I've always sort of kept a little black book of people and I love suggesting people for things. And I've been really lucky that I've had a career that's kind of crossed bridges that you're not normally allowed to cross. You know, there's not many people that have sort of 
gone from the RSC to Coronation Street, then to the National, then to radio. You know, we people kind of like to put you in a box and they would yeah. sort of, if you stayed there. Whereas when I, I always love saying, have you thought about this person? And have you thought about this person? And, um, and the joy of, of seeing people in different lights as well, because I think a lot of times actors are way more versatile than people think they are. And, um, and I, I get a real kick from that. So, so when uh, lockdown happened, a dear friend of mine, Mike Tyndall, rang me and just said, look, we've, we've started this company, this podcast company. We want to get into audio dramas, you know, not just kind of um, chat podcasts. Yeah. Uh, they have a podcast called The Good, The Bad and The Rugby. And, um, and he said, you know, we've got some scripts. And I said, actually, do you know what? I would love to do that. But I, I've done this radio play with Tony Pitts. He's got some fantastic ideas. Let me bring you two together. And that's kind of where it all began. And then they started looking after Three Little Words and, and they just sort of said to Tony, you know, just, just write what you want really. So we've got sort of um, the equivalent of like a three picture deal with them. We've got, a, a, he's gonna write something called Marina, which is all set in a, in a boating marina. And like I say, I think there's a nimbleness to it, which I think I really enjoy. Some, you know, th- this film that we're making is is brilliant, but you know, these things take a long time. Whereas audio dramas, you can kind of, um, and the way Tony works, you know, he writes very quickly. You you can you you get there. The enjoyable bit is being there in the room and working, and that yeah. seems you're on a fast track to that. But I love bringing I love bringing people um, together, and I think. That's what I like about being a producer. You know, what about this person? Yes, but they were just in Three Sisters at the Almeida. They can't be hilarious. Well, <laughs> definitely can. Because I've seen them in the dressing room and they're brilliant. So, yeah, I love that. And what is that thing? I mean, obviously, you're now giving that gift to other actors. But you, but how did you do it? Because, you, you know, it's... Yes, talent. You've got to have talent. But you've seen so many talented people who come out of a big soap and then they don't find success. What What's the difference? I mean, it's not just luck, is it? God, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's so hard, isn't it, when you're sort of in the middle of it? It's yeah, hard no, I understand. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of many things. You know, there's probably lots of reasons. I guess the way I went into that show was um, I was only hired for, like, six episodes maybe three months and it was you know it was in and out my as I say I just finished a year and a half at the Royal Shakespeare Company and my nan was going around telling everybody that I'd been at the RAC instead of the RSC just to interrupt you for a second Catherine uh Jim and Netherley's texted in he said he loved you in Field of Blood but he claims that you appeared in 700 episodes of Coronation Street. Is that I right? In the end, yes, yes. They did. Wow. Uh, yeah, in the end, I sort of went in for that kind of three months and thought that was it and was happy with that. You know, I, I like playing lots of different characters. As you see, as you'll notice, I don't tend to do a lot of series of things. I did do, you know, I did do three of the four of Mr. Selfridge, but that's kind of an exception to the rule for me. I enjoy I enjoy the, the mix, the versatility yeah. and different characters and different stories and so so yes I went in for three months and then I kind of had six months off and then they they brought me back and I was in the cafe and if they'd have said come in for five years I probably would have said no stupidly but I probably I probably would and then when I left I sort of just went back into the world that I'd been in you know at the national they were kind of like where have you been I was like oh I've been in Manchester doing this (laughs) doing this show and then when, and, and ITV were really great with me. That was a real compliment to me that actually the channel yeah. that I'd worked for were, were, were the ones that cast me in really, really different, different roles. So, yeah, I've got um, Laura and Sally, who were who were the drama executives at that point, to thank for that. They, they put me straight into Lady May and and I played Kenny Everett's wife in the in that brilliant BBC. Of bio. course, yes. Um, yeah, lots and lots of different things. And I just try and always do something different to the, the thing I've, I've just done. So, yeah, that's... Well, you haven't done really this before. Not really a plan, Graham. <laughs> no, really but you haven't, you haven't done this before. Curl Up and D.I. Curl Up and D.I., a new all-star uh, comedy drama podcast. And it's on all platforms on the 30th of June. Yeah. Thank you so and much for joining us. I might see you on the streets of Edinburgh. You never know. Uh, I hope so. Yes, and also, you know, if you forget by Friday, just go to my Instagram page. There's a ridiculous trailer there for you to watch and hopefully okay. enjoy it. And um, yes, please tune in. 
and stick with it if you can. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Catherine. Take care of yourself. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Okay, well, I promised you a competition and we've got one. It's this. Guess. Yeah. Uh, the, um, guest. Guest. Oh, yeah, we dusted off with the jingle and we're playing it. And, and, should somebody guess the guest, what will they get? It's been so long, I can't remember, Graham. What's in the Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box? Well, there's a brilliant branded reusable hot drinks cup. I can't tell you how much I enjoy that cup. It's a, I would call it a racing green very nice. Uh, there's also lots of Waitrose goodies in the gift box, including champagne, salted caramel truffles, dark chocolate and ginger florentine, chocolate-dipped shortbread, organic raspberry jam. Uh, it's got balsamic vinegar. It's Look, it is a big box of goodies, and it is worth winning. Okay, how do we do it? You've got to identify this voice. This is someone who's been a guest on one of my chat shows over the last 20-odd years. See if you know who this voice belongs to. But do you know what? <laughs> Something quite bad happened afterwards. Oh, yes. I was so obsessed with the goodies. I had a migraine. I was that excited. Oh. Do you know what I mean? I went up to Milody afterwards, after the little recording, and I said, I really love the goodies. I watch you all the time. And he turned to me and said, what, even when we're not on? <laughs> oh, I know who that is. Do you? Do you? If you do, then you need, you need to call. Uh, now, I'm going to try this. I don't have the number in front of me. It's O triple three double two triple three double two. Is that right? O double three O triple three double O triple three double O. The twos were a red herring. That was me just thinking it was two. It's O triple three double O triple three double O O triple three. Double O, triple three, double O. Uh, call that number if you recognise that voice and you could be winning the Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, um, guest. Guest. Yes, people also had to guess the number, but uh, happily, people have done that, so we have some callers on the line. Uh, I, I, way, I wasn't the only one who didn't know the number. Nobody knew the number. Uh, you did, you did. The callers did, so that's all that matters. Uh, if somebody correctly identifies this voice... But do you know what? <laughs> Something quite bad happened afterwards. Oh, yes. I was so obsessed with the goodies. I had a migraine. I was that excited. Oh. Do you know what I mean? I went up to Milody afterwards, after the little recording, and I said, I really love the goodies. I watch you all the time. And he turned to me and said, what, even when we're not on? <laughs> <laughs> If you identify that voice, you will win the Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box containing that reusable hot drinks cup, champagne, truffles, shortbread, jam, balsamic vinegar, lots of things. So uh, let's go to the lines. And first up, we've got Amanda, I believe. Hello, Amanda. Good afternoon, Graham. Hi. Uh, where do I find you today, Amanda? I'm in Elland, which is in West Yorkshire. <gasps> Lovely. And did you know the number to ring off by heart, or were you were you on tenterhooks waiting for me to find out what it was? No, you were saved in my phone. Oh, oh! Now, see, you are a proper competition enterer. So, have oh, you have you tried really. have you tried to enter before? Then, yes, you must have. Oh yes, I have. Yes, I'm. But this is this your first time getting on the air? It is indeed. Oh, how exciting. Uh, anything, anything else exciting going on in your Sunday? Oh, my goodness me. I have a gooseberry pie cooking in the oven as we speak. <laughs> and I'm also going to see Pete Tong this evening in Halifax. Whatever you, whatever I thought you were going to see in Halifax, I didn't imagine it would be Pete Tong. But there you go, Amanda. Oh, yes. I know nothing. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I'm really looking forward to that tonight. I'm I a regular concert-goer. Lovely. And then you can come home afterwards, having had a few drinks, and enjoy that gooseberry tart. Uh, oh, okay. I will indeed. Let's see if you're also going to enjoy a Graham Norton Waitrose gift box. Who did you think that voice belonged to? I believe it is Mel Gedroich. Do you? Let's find out if you're right or if you're wrong. It's very tense, very tense. <laughs> With the excitement. 
You are correct. Yay. Yes, you are. Well done. Of course it was Mel Gedroyd. Uh, well done to Amanda. And uh, You are getting that gift box with the champagne, the truffles, the shortbread, the jam and everything. Um, and uh, enjoy your own tart, your Pete Tong concert. And is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the air? I'd like to say hello to my amazing husband, Stephen, who is actually fishing at the moment, so knows nothing about this. And my husband, uh, not my husband, I've just said <laughs> your, your other husband, your showbiz husband. <laughs> yeah, my other husband. Yeah, don't, don't tell the first one. Uh, my son, Matthew, who is playing in a silver band concert this afternoon. Oh, fantastic. Well, listen, uh, you sound like you're having the perfect Sunday and I'm glad we've made it a little bit better with uh, that Waitrose gift box winging its way to you. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Graham. All right. Lovely to talk to you, Amanda. Take care now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks, Graham. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on our socials? If not, you are missing out on all behind-the-scenes action from the kitchen to the studio. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.